Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times. Data with instant analysis, WWE backlash, just moments after the pay-per-view, and the greatest wrestling match ever went off the air. We are going to get to all of that momentarily. But first, if you want to thank us for jumping on Moments After Backlash and doing this show, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine audio and drop us that five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. Let us know what specifically you like about the show. Allow these ratings to go up, get more I was going to say eyeballs, but ear holes, uh, listening to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Another way you can do that is to follow us on Twitter. Follow the show account at Getting Overcast. For those that do, you know I tweet live during most TV shows and pay-per-views. It's an easy way to send us DM slides, questions for the show. We will get them and we will read them on the air. Joining me today is Chris Vanini, our WWE co-host. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini, of course, you can follow the Silver King on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. Now, Chris, for these instant analysis, we haven't done one in a while, but normally what we do is we crack open a beer and we talk about professional wrestling. We save the alcohol for the pay-per-view, but I'm told that you are dry in your house right now. So I'm going with cold, ice cold water. What about you? I am going with lemon lime Gatorade. Okay. Classic choice. Yeah, I just I, during the whole quarantine, I just haven't gone to the store a ton, haven't felt the need to grab some beer. So I realized, you know, you brought this up before we started recording. Yeah. And I realized I didn't actually have anything in my fridge. And now I realize I'm going to have to get some next time I go to the store. I would make the argument that the quarantine is the best reason to be finding and purchasing alcohol. I'll tell you what I've been doing. Some breweries have been doing curbside pickup. Uh, some other craft beer establishments have as well. I had a great, um, what was it called? Nutter Cup. Uh, Nutter Cup. It was a chocolate peanut butter porter earlier today. Really damn good beer. But no, cla- listen, lemon lime is the classic Gatorade. It, you know, I don't think it's really Gatorade unless it gives you that like that phlegm at the back of your throat after you're finished drinking the entire <laughs> bottle. And lemon lime most certainly does that. It's the only one I like. You know, I guess orange was OK from the classics, but like the fruit punch, some of those, the grape. I was never really into any of that. Yeah, I'm a big either like the light blue frost or lemon lime. Lemon lime has been my go to since really since college. And it was kind of my post hangover drink the next morning. I I found out that kind of did the best for me. And so that's kind of been my go to ever since. The two drinks I I remember from middle school are lemon lime Gatorade. And this one will probably date me, but crystal clear Pepsi. I'm a Coke guy. Like I don't drink a lot of soda. I really don't drink soda much at all. But if I ever do, it's Coke products. However, Crystal Clear Pepsi. I mean, they promoted the hell out of it. And I just liked the fact, I guess, that it tasted exactly like Pepsi, but it was clear. But I was all about that back in the day. I, I have, I've never had that. I'm, that I'm, is shocking. I think I'm a little bit I think I'm a little bit younger than you two, so it may not have been in my range. That's shocking, but they they do occasionally re-release it. So if you see it in a food store, uh, I don't know what you have where you are. For me, it's Publix. Um you should definitely get it. Like they have a 20 ounce, they have some cans. I it's should. Like, I'm, I'm a big Pepsi guy. I just, I don't, I don't grab a lot of, I call it pop from the store. That's soda. Um, I, but, I, live, I, I live in Texas. They call it Coke now. So I've gone, I've asked for a pop at, at Whataburger and they don't know what the heck I'm talking about. So I'm still adjusting, but it'll always yeah. be pop. I don't think I can accept pop. I mean, Coke, fine, you know, soda, whatever, but soda is really, I guess what I go for, but pop is just always sounds strange to me. What doesn't sound strange to me um, 
is greatest wrestling match ever. It did. It did for weeks. Uh, it doesn't now, even though, you know, we'll argue whether it actually lived up exactly to that billing. But let, let us get into our instant analysis of WWE backlash. We are here, honestly, legitimately just minutes after the show went off the air. I did take a poll pre-show of our Twitter audience. It showed 45% of you guys expected a B show, 43 expected a C show. So that's 88%. Everyone else was in A, D, or F range. Coming out of the show, 56% said B, 20% said A, and 20% said C. So to me, that means for many of you, this show exceeded expectations, man. And I can tell you, for me, especially at the start of the show, Chris, I was getting pretty down on it. Um, I saw someone messaged me, and I'm sorry I don't have your name here. They messaged me, you know, this kind of feels like a Raw SmackDown Super Show, more than a pay-per-view. And I think over the first couple of matches, it did feel that way. However, as the night went on, I think really once we got to the Universal Championship match with Braun Strowman, not a a match I was overly excited about, but from that point forward, it did feel like a pay-per-view. And I think my opinion of it goes back to the opinion I had of Money in the Bank and the opinion I had of WrestleMania, which is WWE is really trying. Whether you loved it, liked it, or hated it, you have to admit WWE is trying to do something different and trying to give fans a good show. And I, for one, appreciate that. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. They're they're really putting in an effort here. And, you know, they had that writer change at the end of last week. And so we'll see how things feel moving forward. But they're they're trying some different things. You know, they're they're really pushing certain guys, new guys in different spots. And when I look at the show, you know, when, when you have two title matches and a, a non-title main event, really how you, how you feel about it's going to come down to those three matches. And at least the last two, really, I thought uh, uh, is, is what we will remember this show about and why I think it had a pretty good review from, from the fans. And that's what you want. You want a show to close strong. Every yeah. single time, your final two matches, your co-main events, uh, you want those to deliver. The rest of the show can be mediocre to bad, but if those two matches come through like they did tonight, in my opinion... Um, you know, then you ultimately have a good show. And, you know, before we get to the matches themselves, I just kind of want to give a shout out to to two specific people. One to whoever does the WWE set, because look, I'm not saying the Backlash set was crazy great or anything, but what we have seen is the Performance Center transition from a gym. And I've been there multiple times, three or four times, and it is black mats and black rings and really not much going on. Big ass fan, literally it's what it's called in the ceiling. And that is the extent of what that place has to offer. They have put in video boards and smoke and lasers, and they have really transformed the Performance Center into a legitimate studio for wrestling. And they allowed the on-air product. If you look at the first Empty Arena show and you look at Backlash, the difference is shocking. It's legitimately startling. So shout out to whoever is in charge of that for doing a great job. And the other person I wanted to give a shout out to is Samoa Joe. I thought, um, look, we've talked about Samoa Joe on commentary a couple times, you know, during the length of this podcast, its existence, and we like him, right? We thought he was a needed addition to the table when he kind of came back into wrestling. It was like, oh, great. I'm glad that Joe's wrestling again, but he was pretty, pretty damn good on commentary, you know, while he was there. Um, but this fits. It's right. Samoa Joe is a superstar doing color commentary. He was the best performing person on the mic all night long. Uh, The way that he 
kept in character, wrestling character, coming out of the Intercontinental Championship package where he basically told AJ congratulations and told him to go, uh, you know, enjoy it with his family and then stared at the camera basically saying, hi, Wendy, was hysterical. Uh, And then the way he called the main event the greatest wrestling match ever, he called it, he made it feel like it was the greatest wrestling match ever. So, man, like, I want Samoa Joe in the ring. I love the way he has performed his entire WWE career. But if you told me for some reason he was never going to be cleared again and he was going to do commentary forever, I can see him in that chair for 15, 20 years doing an absolutely incredible job. I think he's been at his best these last two weeks if you go from from what he did tonight in the main event. And also his interview with Edge on Raw Talk was really good as well. I, I think he's yep. really good at that interview role as well, not just commentary, because he brings legitimacy to the position and he's not asking questions like he has no idea what's going on. It's a real conversation. So he, he's really, I think, coming into his own there. And yeah, he was, especially in the main event when he was just energetic and passionate and exciting and I always say with any sport, I say this when I watch any sport, if the commentator is really into what he's watching or he or she is watching, it's going to get me into it. I, yep. I, they, don't, they don't have to be technical and break down plays and have everything right. If somebody's excited, that gets me excited. That's why I like Dickie V. That's why I like Tony Romo. Tony Romo obviously does a great job of breaking stuff down, but it's his joy for the job that comes out more yep. than anything else. And we saw that from Samoa Joe tonight and one other person group i'd like to shout out other than those two that you mentioned is the always great video team yes the promo videos they're all wwe's the best like in, in the world at this and watching what was the promo at the beginning of backlash but i saw it earlier the day on twitter the randy orton edge video was tremendous got me really excited for the show and the match coming into the night it really did and to the commentary point you know, Mike Green, Marv Albert, Mike Tirico, these are uh, Mauro Ronaldo uh, for combat. Yeah. These are guys who get you excited. They can make anything exciting. And that's what Samoa Joe did. And by the way, what Samoa Joe did, the reason he was so successful is he wasn't just great. He raised the rent for the rest of the team. Byron Saxton was incredible in the main event. Tom Phillips called a great match and they they're very good on their own. And Byron, I think it's a bad rap. You heard him definitely. I mean, he has some highlights and lowlights, but the Kofi Kingston WrestleMania win was a huge highlight for him. But that trio really works well together and they need to keep them together long term. I do hope that Samojo is able to come back to the ring and he does both wrestling and commentary, you know, depending on when the storyline calls for it. But man, I just it was a huge shout out for him. Now, let's actually get to WWE Backlash. And the way we start our instant analysis is with the main event. But not just that, I got one of these for you. And that's not a spoiler siren. That is a feel spot activation siren because (laughs) dude, whether you will ever call this the greatest wrestling match ever, you will remember it for being called the greatest wrestling match ever. Edge versus Randy Orton. You know, they opened this um, match kind of introing it with, they promised us unique camera angles and amplified audio. So what what did they give us? They gave us piped in audio ambiance. And it's something that we've talked about for a long time. Are they going to do it? Fox has come out and said they're going to do it for football games this year. But the key was they didn't overdo it. They used multiple different camera angles throughout. They had some in the ring post. They did a sky cam. Finally, I don't know what took them so long to do that. 
it was good. They had a shot from underneath the guys at the beginning of the match was fantastic as well. And I loved the old school start here with the MSG microphones, Howard Finkel doing the introductions. They used tape of him, which was a really nice touch. Lil Nate, Charles Robinson in the old school blue referee shirt with the bow tie. It, it They made it feel really big and really important. And you can talk about the promotion of it and the angle of greatest wrestling match ever. But ultimately, when you look at what they delivered, they delivered something pretty great. And, you know, I was I was thinking like, hey, how am I going to talk about this on the show before I ever saw the match happen? I was like, well, what, what can I say that's cute? Well, maybe I'm not going to call it the greatest wrestling match ever, but I'll call it the goodest wrestling match ever. You know, I was trying to think how I might phrase it. And ultimately, that is just weighing it down because it was so much better than giving a half-hearted golf clap. This was a very good match. You, I think you have to give massive credit to Edge, Randy Orton, and WWE for really trying here. And it's kind of what I said at the beginning of the show. They did not half-ass trying to give us a great wrestling match. They legitimately gave us a great wrestling match. So in calling it a straight-up, quote-unquote, wrestling match, which is the way Orton initially kind of brought it up to Edge, I think they did that justice. This may not have been the greatest wrestling match ever, and that is something we'll talk about at the end here, but it definitely was a classic WWE match. It was a great classic match, a la a Shawn Michaels Bret Hart, a, and this is a name that obviously people don't like saying, but a Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero. It is a match where you feel like in kayfabe, the wrestlers watched film on their opponent. They took it very seriously. It meant so much to them that they needed to put on a great performance and be as prepared as they could be, again, in kayfabe. As Tenacious D would kind of sing, it may not have been the greatest wrestling match ever, but it was a tribute to the greatest wrestling matches ever. And I think you saw that, Chris, with some of the moves they did, the Russian leg sweeps, the double crossbodies, arm drags, backslides, roll-ups. Uh, there were constant reversals, counters, and scouting, and we'll get to some of the specific moments in the match, but I want to give you a chance, of course, to kind of weigh in here. Do you feel that the description that I'm giving it is fitting, or did you maybe not like it as much or like it way more than I even did? So we we, we talked for a couple of weeks about what this whole catchphrase tagline was going to mean, if it was some sort of swerve, if it was going to be something weird, and then we found out it was taped. And I was thinking it was going to be incredibly cinematic as what we got was not quite that. It was generally a regular match edited around different ways, though. And essentially what they did with this match is what I've wanted them to do with pretty much everything for months now since this got shut down, which is I, I love the pipe and audio. We'll get we'll get into that. I, the, the editing made it seem a lot more urgent it, it, yes. it, there, was, yeah. there were there were rest holds in there, but there wasn't like dead time. And I actually got a text from my brother during the match. And he said, I don't think I've seen Orton move this fast since I got back into wrestling, which was with me like 2013 or something like that. And that's because, yeah, yeah. Randy Orton was a lot faster than we typically see than a typically slow prodding Randy Orton match. And I think it's just kind of the way they edited, like for all those raws and smackdowns and pay-per-views that were taped you know, you could do tweaks like this to just make the product better. You know, you didn't have to just take what you had and and, and go with it there. I know it takes time to put that all together and whatnot, but I felt like it was an opportunity to play with matches a little bit to make them a little bit different. And what we got in the main event, or, I'm sorry, what we got at the beginning of the match 
was what I want all WWE main events to have. I want to have the referee come out, talk to them, explain the rules, yep. have that conversation yep. going on. I want, you know, the, the introductions, the special, just a special, you know, acknowledgement that this match means more than anything else you've seen earlier today. Kind of like, you know, WCW bring out Michael Buffer for just the last match. Just, just something to signify that this is a big deal. And that's what they did at the beginning of this match. The rest of the match was largely a regular match edited in certain ways, but they, at the very beginning, they made it feel like a big deal. And that's the type of thing I'd love to see these pay-per-view main events have all the time, even if it's a referee in a different outfit or, or, or various things that did that they did. You made, you made a lot of great points there to speak on the audio. You know, I think they can't do what they did in this match for every match, because even for a taped show, it is almost too much. Not every match is the importance no. of this. So you wouldn't have the crowd necessarily be as excited. But the, the problem is because they're doing taped and live and they're not taping all of their shows, even if they wanted to do this, they you cannot uh, do that live. Now, apparently Fox right. and some other networks have some plans to do this for live sports. Um, I don't know exactly how they're going to do that. They maybe just have a guy with like a soundboard hitting cheers and boos. And you know who really knows? what exactly they're going to do. But for wrestling with chants and with all the intricacies of the crowd, the crowd plays such a large role in wrestling. It is difficult. I think what we talked about a lot at the beginning of all of this was some type of ambiance, right? I was, for me, it was always like an audio track, not necessarily fans, but like a, a beat, like kind of like you'd have in a movie, like what they did for the Boneyard match, some type of rock music or you know, just a beat or something like that where it's taking the silence off the screen. But what they did here successfully with that audio was they mixed it with what was actually happening in the arena. They didn't give us multiple holy shit chants. They didn't give us the crowd screaming at the top of their lungs. They just gave us waves of excitement and then calm and then booing mm -hmm. and then cheering. And it was a little distracting in the first five or 10 minutes. But very quickly, I got over it and stopped thinking about it, and it enhanced the match for me. And it, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, no, it really, it really helped in those big moments. It made this feel like a bigger match. It sometimes felt like they were in a big stadium or a big arena with a crowd that's in it. You know, we before the shutdown, we'd have so many WWE shows where by the main event the crowd's just dead and there's nothing right. there, and it, it was a reminder that. When you have it was a reminder how much a crowd adds to a match, even if it's a fake crowd, it, it yeah, really it yeah. really made the match. It, it, I don't think it was done in a hokey type of way either. It, 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 like at the beginning of the match, you weren't sure if they were going to make it kind of hokey or not. And they didn't. And, and I think the audio really added to the big moments. And it for a match that I thought was too long, it kept me going. Interesting. I did not think it was too long, but before I get to that, I do want to just mention one other thing that you talked about, which were the intros. You know, NXT does that uh, for their title matches. They introduce them that way. Not the main events every time, but the title matches. I do agree, though, every main event should have a real life boxing type of introduction. That's really what you want. Um, but WWE did do this, actually, at Night of Champions or whatever they call that Clash of Champions, Night of Champions. I forget. But the last time they did that show, which I think was maybe December or something like that, they did this for every single title match, and it made the matches feel more important. The crowd got excited at the start of the match rather than it kind of just happening and then getting getting excited for the finish. So 
And that, and that was a very good pay-per-view. So I do think that there is something to be said. You don't necessarily need to do it for every match, but at least the world title matches, the two men's and the two women's, should have that gravitas of the lights coming down, spotlights on the performers, the announcer introducing both of them, and then putting the title on the line. So, you know, that that did mean a lot to me. Now, to kind of go through what we saw in this match, we you know, I'm just going to point out a couple major highlights. We had the three amigos, the back-to-back, uh, obviously in a tribute to Eddie Guerrero. We had a Flair steamboat air spot where Orton did the steamboat dropkick and Flair did the chops, of course, with woo in the background and everything, which was great. They even referenced Okada Omega with Edge catching a dropkick from Randy Orton and turning it into a powerbomb. They did the Education, the Edge-O-Matic. Edge did the Unprettier from Christian. And they uh, called they, it that, too. And they called it that. There was the Angle Slam, the Pedigree, the Rock Bottom. There was a tease for the Sharpshooter Educator. And there were a couple of Antivenoms as well. So both guys reached back into their past catalog, their friends' finishers. I mean, that whole part of the match was great to me. And early in the match, something that really had hit home that I could not believe WWE left in editing because it was crystal freaking clear was I think Edge was laying on top of a table while Orton was beating on him. And he goes to his ear and he goes, I'm going to effing kill you, mother effer. And he whispered it. And those words came through clear as day on WWE Network. So for an edited match, I know they left the blood in and I know that was a planned spot. But man, I, I was just shocked that they left two F words in there. I don't care who said them. If anyone ever is going to, it's Randy. But I just, I was shocked that they did it. I absolutely loved it and it popped me. So then let's get to the finish of this match, right? So Randy Orton finally hits the RKO. We get a kick out. Edge counters uh, t- an attempted punt kick with a spear, then hits another. Orton kicks out of two spears. Uh, Orton then caught a flying edge with another RKO for another kick out. So you're working towards this finish, right? And by the time all of that happens, you're really thinking to yourself, how are they going to finish the match in a satisfying way without just another third RKO or a third spear? And what I thought they did was genius because Randy Orton is the clear heel. Both guys put on a great match. They both proved they were equals. So what's the differentiator? The differentiator is Randy Orton being the piece of shit character that he always has been, low blow, bringing back the punt kick, which they have not done in this ever, you know, the concussion CTE era in in a very long time. And then he gets the one, two, three as the heel. I also thought it was hysterical, Chris, that what's Randy Orton been talking about on Twitter. He's been saying, hey, you know what? I don't need to do leg slaps like those guys in NXT to have a great match. That's exactly what I was going to say. And he finishes the match with a loud ass leg slap for the punt kick. So I laughed at that. I thought it popped me. And then to sell it, to really freaking sell it, he leans over a, a dead, you know, sprawled out edge on the canvas. And he says, go home, be with Beth, be with your daughter uh, and tell all three of them that Uncle Randy says hi. So, Chris, you know, look, people can say this was it's pre-taped, so it doesn't matter how good the match was. Um, they can tear it apart for there being too many finishers and too gimmicky and whatever. But as I said at the beginning, they promised the greatest wrestling match ever. And of course, we knew we weren't going to get that. So as long as you weren't expecting that, if you did anything other than love this match, I can't align with you because I was 100% entertained. I can tell you, dude, that if this was not a pre-taped match, if this was just a match that was delivered live on television, 
it would have been a five-star match. And that is a massive compliment. Not that my grade matters, but to say that something is a five-star match means that it goes in an echelon with very few other matches, at least in my world. And again, it was pre-taped, so I'm not necessarily giving it that, but it would have gotten it. And I, I just think it was incredible. Yeah, I'd probably give it like four, 4.5. But I, I, going back to the leg slap thing, not only that, but the, the, the constant false finishes. Of course, yeah. I could only think of I could only think of Randy Orton's like doing an NXT match here as well. He, they're, they're, they're just really leaning into all that stuff. And, and it, it, in some ways, it felt like a tribute to wrestling in a lot of ways. The Firefly Funhouse did as well in different ways. And right. I, I think that's an interesting way to kind of look at different ways they've done some of these pre-taped matches, even though the Funhouse wasn't a match. But uh, yeah, you know, I I thought it was too long. It did. It wasn't too long like the Last Man Standing match was too long though. Oh that, God, yeah. That th- that thing dragged. I was getting bored. I was losing interest. I didn't necessarily lose interest, but there were a couple times I was like, "All right, I'm kind of ready for this to kind of end here." And then the, the the crowd helped. It was a lot different than the last man standing when it was just nonstop grunting and whacking for 45 minutes. This was crowd. There was excitement. There was a lot going on. It's not that I thought it was too long that it took much away from the match, but it was just felt like too long that I don't know if I can go back and watch this whole thing again. So I am going to hit the uh, spoiler alert siren again. I'm going to hit the siren. Once I start ta- once you hear the end of the siren, if you hit the 30 second skip, you will not be spoiled. I promise you just a very quick, very quick spoiler alert. All right, so it has been reported, Chris, that uh, Edge in this match actually tore his triceps and will be out of action for a significant period of time. So because of that, the way this ended, and of course they couldn't have known, but the way this ended with Orton winning and then talking to Edge the way he did to me makes an absolute ton of sense in retrospect and really does speak to maybe a rubber match down the line. So, you know, when we, again, I I stand by kind of saying that if this was a live match, I would have given it five stars. I mean, you could argue, you know, split hairs, 4.75, whatever. This was an incredible match. Now, because it was pre-taped, certainly that takes away from it. And we do not know, and we never will know how much they redid, how much they cut, what was changed. You know, that is all stuff that, you know, WWE has it. But I don't ever think we're going to see the director's cut, you know, of this match or or the real tape, the raw tape, I should say. Release the McMahon cut. Yeah, the McMahon cut or the, the Kevin Dunn cut. Um, yeah. So I don't think we'll ever see that. So for me, I have to take stock on what I saw. And what I want to discuss before we move on to the rest of the card is where this match ranks in 2020 and then have a quick discussion about what the, what you actually think the greatest match of all time is. For me, this has a legitimate argument to be the best North American wrestling match so far this year. Um, You know, Wrestle Kingdom over in Japan for New Japan Pro Wrestling, there was at least one, probably two matches that were just incredible, including the Naito matches, which were just fantastic. But when you think about North America and United States wrestling, you know, we do have the tag team match in AEW with Omega Page and the Elite, which I thought was a five-star match. It was fantastic. Um, The Stadium Stampede match, in terms of empty arena stuff, was really good. But in the empty arena era, at least, this kind of just, it hit nostalgia. It hit old school. It it hit the feel spot for me in a way that I don't think anything else has 
so far this year. Where do you think it kind of stands in 2020? Yeah, th- those were the ones that stood out to me as well, especially the the tag match in AEW. Um, yeah, it's it, it's hard for it, I I don't know how to compare it to Stadium Stampede or whatever they called it. And, yeah, and some some of the other cinematic matches. I know I know we can't directly compare it to a live match sometimes, so we also can't compare it to cinematic matches in terms of in, in terms of just my enjoyment out of a match segment. I, I put it behind um, the, the stadium match, the Firefly Funhouse, and probably the Boneyard. I'd probably put it ahead of Money in the Bank. Um, I, I'd probably put it behind the tag match in AEW. So it's probably a top five match on the year so far. Probably top two if you only consider actual, you know, straight up matches. Matches. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, greatest, greatest wrestling match ever. I, nobody thought that coming in. But all it had to do was exceed the, as a result, low expectations we had. Right, and, and, and it did. And they very much did that. It, it was good yeah. enough. It was good enough that we don't really need to think about the tagline anymore. It's not a, it's not a joke. It's just kind of there. We're, we're going to remember the match for being a great match more than necessarily, I think, what we called it because it reached that threshold of where, okay, th- this was this was good enough. We don't we can kind of forget about the jokes and whatnot. It, it was it was good enough that. You know, it, it can stand on its own as a match. I'll put it this way. It was not the, I mean, we don't have to keep repeating it, but it was not the greatest wrestling match ever. But they made it feel as if for someone it could be. There's a person out there who believes that was the greatest wrestling match they've ever seen. And it could be someone who's only been watching wrestling for a few years and has only watched WWE wrestling, you know. But it is believable where someone could say, man, you know what? That was absolutely incredible. And mm-hmm. given the circumstances, it completely over-delivered. So you're right, you're right. The goal really is now when this match is looked back upon, you know, everyone will say tongue-in-cheek, hey, do you remember the greatest wrestling match ever at WWE Backlash? But it's it could have been a joke, the tagline, and now it's not a joke. It's just, that's what it was promoted as. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that ultimately. So we've gone through that. So Chris, what is... What do you think actually is the greatest wrestling match ever? So th- this is subjective. Of course. M- my, if I'm going to say greatest match, I'm going to say my favorite match. It's kind of the same thing. It's Rock Hogan, WrestleMania 18. Oh, God. And, <laughs> and, and Cody, Cody has said this. Cody Rhodes has said the same thing because of what that crowd was like in that match and how the competitors reacted to it and the short, but solid story they told the reaction. I cannot tell you how many times I go back and watch Hogan hulking up against the rock. They, they, they do the sequence. He does the leg drop. Jim Ross's call is awesome. Jerry Lawler is awesome in that moment. It's like my favorite minute of wrestling ever. That, that moment right there. That's my favorite match. That's the one I go back and rewatch the most in terms of what you're tr- in terms of what wrestling is trying to accomplish to elicit a reaction Few, I think, match what that match was able to do. Okay. And, and Cody has said the same thing. I think he talked about, I think the Young Bucks had different views on wrestling, but in terms of what wrestling is supposed to do, and, and you know, I saw Cody say this, I agreed. Say, in terms of what wrestling is supposed to do, that's tops for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to kind of crap on it because I think it's a fair, the way you're kind of putting it out there, it's fair. It's not the best technical match, obviously. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was getting at. So for me, the greatest wrestling match ever is Okada Omega 4, the final match of the feud with Omega going over because 
Not only was it an absolutely incredible match, truly, legitimately incredible, but it was able to call back to all three of their prior meetings, which preceding it were among the greatest wrestling matches ever. And you got the ultimate payoff that you always wanted in the feud with Omega actually going over. Now, what's interesting is I like Omega a lot. I like Kazuchika Okada a lot. Neither of them are my favorite wrestler of all time. Neither of them are honestly close. So when you look at that and you say, well, what's the match that you're always going to remember? It's the Shawn Michaels probably Undertaker matches because those were just two of the greatest wrestled, greatest psychology, storytelling, um, equipped matches that I've ever seen. And then you have the Shawn Michaels-Rick Flair match that's up there for me as well. So from a WWE standpoint, you know, it's those. It's really the HBK Undertaker match and feud. But when you look at all time, if you watch those four matches, if you had the time to take four days out of your life, and watch each of those matches one day after the other. And you came out of it saying that it was not the greatest wrestling match of all time. I would legitimately be surprised. On the old podcast I was on, uh, we talked about this. But I saw that match and I messaged the host of that show, Brian Campbell. And I said, Brian, that's a seven-star wrestling match. Like if, if Meltzer is going to go out there and break his five-star scale and go whatever he went, six for this one and... 6.25 and 6.5, then that is a seven-star match. And not that Meltzer is necessarily the end-all, be-all of rating wrestling matches, but he is, you know, uh, uh, experienced and he has a catalog where one match grade versus another does give you an idea of the greatness of that match. And I was pretty floored because I thought I was really going out on a limb saying it was as great as it was. I was pretty floored when he came out with his ratings and he gave it seven stars. Um, you know, for me, it was a little bit of hyperbole. But to see that he actually felt the same way about it, it kind of lent credence to what my eyes told me. And I will never forget that match. And Okada Omega 1 is fantastic as well. But that fourth match is an absolute all-timer. Okay. We're so getting, one, one thing. I, I, I've actually not seen those four. I should probably do what you're saying. Oh, my God. A, you should. spend a day on all four of those. But in terms of technical wrestling, another one that comes up to me that I, I love watching and I think is up there is Shawn uh, Michaels, Kurt Angle, WrestleMania 21 yes, in fantastic. LA. Yep. They, they actually did a, I think a WWE Untold doc episode mm -hmm. on that a few weeks or a few months ago. Yep. Uh, so I watched that and I went back and watched the match again after I saw it. And it was, it was, uh, that was when I was actually out of wrestling at, at that time. So I went back and watched it for the first time. And that was Kurt Angle still in that peak era for him. And Shawn Michaels was back and still as good as ever. Uh, that one's up there for great technical wrestling matches of all time for me. That was an absolutely fantastic match. You're totally right about that. Okay, we do have a lot of WWE backlash left. In fact, we have the rest of the card to talk about. So let's get to that right now. For the WWE Championship, we had Drew McIntyre defend against Bobby Lashley, and he did retain the title via pinfall. You know, I love the pre-match attack here, um, showing aggressiveness. Lashley, I'm talking about uh, giving McIntyre a good reason to eat a lot of offense early in the match, which we have really not seen from him during this title run. He's been pretty dominant. McIntyre kicking out at one on the spine buster. Uh, and I think he had another kick out at one. Those were good spots. He's done that a few times as champion and it looks, it, it makes him look so strong. And it also makes 
later, longer falls more realistic and they they mean more. So mm-hmm. to, to me, it's it's more realistic to have a kick out at one earlier in the match than 100 kickouts at 2.9 late in the match because the idea should be that early covers, the guy's not as worn down, and you're kind of like almost saying, hey, you're stupid for even trying to cover me right now. So for a champion as strong as McIntyre, someone who was going to take as much punishment as he did in this match, I thought that was really smart booking. And it made that 2.9 kick out after the spear later in the match, as I said, mean that much more. Uh, it was great to see this also, Chris, be more than just a power match. There were submission attempts by both guys, counters. I believe there was a superplex for McIntyre, a couple of kip-ups. Kip now, anyone who listened, of course, to our ultimate preview knows that the Silver King kind of predicted the finish here. Not that, again, it wasn't a crazy prediction, but having Lana come out, interfere, cost Lashley the opportunity. You know, I normally hate Schma's finishes, and there were a few of them on this show, which really did get frustrating, especially when we saw it here. But... In the case of this particular match and this particular storyline, I thought it was a really good way to get us to another match because we have a pretty good idea that they're not going to go with a new feud until SummerSlam. They're probably not going to pull the trigger on Andrade or Seth Rollins again or bring Brock Lesnar back or whatever the case might be. And we do have one more pay-per-view to get through, obviously, Extreme Rules. So either they're going to do this Lashley MVP Lana storyline away from the championship, or I think MVP and Lashley can make a pretty compelling case to get another opportunity considering what Lana did. And given that McIntyre was the one to benefit from it, he still hit his finisher. He still went over strong. I was completely okay with it. Um, And I thought this really delivered. It was a Haas fight that was somehow still technical. And, you know, it was, you know, maybe a B plus match for me on the show. I love this match. I honestly, I only had this slightly below the main event. I, I this was a great match with a great build and great characters involved. And yeah, you don't like a Shamaz finish, but you, you, you're you can swallow it and accept it when you know you're going to when you know it means you're going to get another one of these. Like, you know, WWE is really, really bad at understanding how to extend stories or how to end stories. I kind of go back to the same couple of things. And this is another one of them. But it was a great match. I'm excited to see an, another one from them. It felt like it felt like McIntyre just survived. That exactly. Match. He, he exactly. wins it. He gets the pin. He wins. But he's just laying on his chest afterward. And we haven't seen that, Drew, since he won. He's always been on top, showing up, being aggressive, kicking ass. Now someone got the jump on him by being aggressive. And now he has to uh bounce back from that mentally moving forward and i think we're all ready to move on from lana in this in this feud mvp's killing it lashley's killing it mcintyre's killing it just let these guys do their thing now for extreme rules going forward um it makes sense that drew is such an aggressive like i said aggressive champion who's always looking for a fight that it makes perfect sense that if lashley an MVP ask for a rematch, he'll give it to them because that's that's what he's been doing as a character. I think it all fits great, and I'm excited to 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 see uh, where it goes. Yeah, and MVP, you know, being that Mike man for Lashley, he's really convincing. So mm-hmm. not that Drew Drew is not playing a stupid babyface by any means. Right. He's not someone who's going to get fooled, but at the same time, he could be coerced into something that maybe he even feels he doesn't want to do. And McIntyre sold the story after the match by looking into the camera, breaking the fourth wall and saying, hey, Lashley's got some baggage that is weighing him down and it cost him this match, right? So Lashley has something immediately to pounce on. Say, yeah, I'm getting rid of that baggage. Maybe even 
you know, I think July 19th is the pay-per-view. So it's almost, it's at least four weeks. It might be five. I don't know how the months are working right now. Again, it's late, but they may even be able to spend a week of kind of Lashley and Lana breaking up and kind of ending that situation or figuring out a way to get out of that. And then maybe two weeks from now, they actually, Drew says, look, I'm happy to give you another match, but man, you got to earn it. You got to have a number one contender match. Someone else steps up, they fight, Lashley wins, and now he gets a rematch. So look, that match was so good. I want to see it again. And I think what they're giving us is they're saying, hey, you know what? We're going to get, you're going to get a rematch here. And I'm totally fine with that. All right. Universal Championship. We had Braun Strowman defending against The Miz and Morrison and winning and retaining his title via pinfall. Now, you know, man, going into this, I had 0.0. I don't know why I'm saying it when I can just play it. 0.0. Interest whatsoever in this and Braun Strowman, et cetera. But I do actually have a couple positives here. Number one, Braun Strowman's new entrance is sick. I mean, they actually put effort into giving him awesome animation. The smoke coming out, not just the sides of the Titan Tron, but the top of it. It, it. it made him feel like a big deal and a world champion. And I know they did it on SmackDown also, but A, I, a, I wish they would have actually saved it for the pay-per-view. I don't know why they did it on SmackDown. But B, it's something that WWE needs to do more to make their champions feel more important. Even Apollo Crews getting new entrance music. It's like, oh, they're actually putting some stock into him and some effort. So I do appreciate that. I, um, the, the only thing I hope is that they don't go overboard by saying the Strowman Express. I, I love the, oh, the going visual. To. I love the visual, the visual, the audio. All works great. Just don't beat that nickname into the ground because Braun Strowman is perfectly. Oh, fine. dude, he's going to do the thing around the ring and, and Cole is going to. It's the Strowman Express coming through just like it's boss time. You know, he's going to do it. Yep. I mean, he's going to. Um, so there was a there was a big botch in the middle of the match where Strowman was, I think, expecting a knee and instead Morrison did a kick or it was vice versa. And he just flopped in the middle of the ring. That kind of sucked. You know, the match was mediocre as expected. It was nothing to write home about. But Strowman uh, retaining was obviously the right decision. And the finish given the stipulation, was pretty smart. I think Miz pulling Morrison off and then realizing how stupid he was to do that after they basically both hit their finishers, they probably could have won the title. So ultimately, I you know, I thought the finish was good enough to get me to say this wasn't a total piece of crap. So we, we had talked about why they weren't explaining how only one of them is going to win the title or how that's going to work. And they eventually did before this match in, in a... Before earlier in the show, they explained that only one of them wins. And I think it worked out because that it planted the seed of doubt in, in their heads late enough in the process that Miz pulling Morrison off of off of the cover. It made sense because it was he he was still processing this. I liked how we put Morrison back on too. you know, right. I, I, that was, it was he like realized it, the error. Yeah. yeah, he realized the error and tried to make up for it. It wasn't just he stood there with his hands on his head and, and they got in an argument and then it was over. No, he tried to make up for it. He kind of, it, it, it felt, you know, authentic, like, like what a real person would do. So I think it worked out in that sense. Um, I still think it was nonsense to have a handicap match for the universal championship course, and, and this whole feud has been kind of whatever, but I liked the music video. It was funny. I generally like Miz and Morrison. They're just not in the best situations for whatever reason. I, I'm curious if this leads to a breakup because I think Morrison's, been been really killing it he could do a singles run as well but it was it was fine for what it was at, at the pay-per-view but um i kind of hope this is the end of it so we have a dm slide from daniel greer at daniel greer he says book the damn territory who does stroman go into a feud with now 
Is it too early for the fiend? I'm actually going to give that to you, Chris. What do you think? So I would, I, I don't think this is going to happen, but I would like to see Sheamus next, maybe get just like a one-off one month feud and maybe, maybe Jeff Hardy cost him the match or something like that. And then they get back into Seamus Hardy because Seamus Hardy hasn't clicked yet. It's been a little weird, but Seamus gets the win here. And for a guy who's accomplished so much, he should be just in a better spot. It's weird to have Seamus and Jeff Hardy kind of doing nothing. I would love to see Seamus get a one off. It'd be a great, uh, you know, a, a, a good solid win for a champion bronze to Roman, assuming they're going to hold off on the fiend until, until SummerSlam. He needs, some wins over legit guys and not weird handicap stuff. You know, the, the win over Bray was good. I think for, for, for him, I think a win over someone like Sheamus would be a good, uh, a good set of moving forward, but it's extreme rules. So things get weird. And I don't know. It always gets weird when you have these themed pay-per-views and you kind of have to build around that. But of everybody on SmackDown, you know, I assume Daniel Bryan will stay in the intercontinental picture for a little bit, but I, I think Sheamus is a guy who'd be perfectly acceptable as, as a, as a main event uh, championship feud here. It's tough because they really don't have a lot of big heels on SmackDown. Obviously, they do have The Fiend, which is what Daniel mentioned. Uh, Styles being there is another one, but now he's the Intercontinental Champion. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, You know, I think Sheamus is going to stay with Jeff Hardy. We'll talk about that in a moment. So I'm kind of leaning towards maybe a Shinsuke Nakamura kind of saying, hey, you took my Intercontinental title. Um, I beat you once before. We beat you as a group. Obviously, with Sami Zayn, um, you know, I should get a shot and kind of going after him. I don't know how they would accomplish that, um, considering, you know, Nakamura only does so much speaking in his mouthpiece now. Sami Zayn is not there. The other option, although it kind of seems like he's doing something else, uh, would be King Corbin. And I know people are sick of King Corbin, you know, getting main events and getting a lot of featured time. But this is the type of role that you want him to be in. You want him to kind of try to make Braun's life a living hell and Braun to not maybe squash him, but kick the hell out of him in a pay-per-view match at Extreme Rules as a tied over feud until we get to SummerSlam. I do think, to answer Daniel's question, I do think it's too early for The Fiend. I think you want The Fiend to come back right ahead of SummerSlam, your big pay-per-view, and to take the title off Braun Strowman. I think that needs to happen. Um, But I don't want him to come back at Extreme Rules. That's shooting your shot. It's blowing the proverbial load too early. Um, so for me, uh, yeah, I, I think I would stick with King Corbin or if you can make it work, a Nakamura. That's kind of where I would lean. Yeah, Cor- Corbin makes sense, but it's nothing I'd be like interested or excited. To, but that's to the thing. It's so, the storylines. Same, same with Nakamura. He's just, he, he, he's he's obviously better than he is, but it just, it hasn't been working for a while. And I don't know, I, I feel like, you know, a, a, another big guy, you know, beat a beat a Bray Wyatt, beat a Sheamus would only, I think, enhance Braun. I don't know if it makes sense in terms of what Sheamus and Hardy are doing. But if, you, if you're if you're trying to make Braun look big and strong going into whatever's next, I think Sheamus would be the best guy to, to put him over. Sheamus would certainly be the option to do that. You're right. But I, I just don't think they're there yet, unfortunately. And we can talk about that now. Sheamus going over Jeff Hardy in a singles match. Uh, via pinfall after two bro kicks. You know, I wish they had worked into the storyline. I was thinking about this in the intro to the match. You know, Sheamus does those Celtic warrior workouts, right? On YouTube, it's a big thing that he does. Yeah. And the whole storyline is about Jeff being, a you know, a druggie or a recovered drug addict and alcoholic and all this stuff. 
And I, it just felt so natural to me that they would, that you'd have Seamus say, look, you know, the Celtic warrior workouts, I'm the picture of health. I make the most of my opportunities. I do all this stuff. And you're, you've wasted the prime of your career by ruining your health and getting sick. And, you know, you have not just mental, but physical illnesses and all that stuff. I was just surprised that they didn't actually take his real life because they did it with Jeff. Seamus would legitimately be opposed to someone being like this because that's what he's all about, clean living and working out and eating right and all that type of stuff. So I, it just felt wrong or weird to me that they didn't go in that direction. But in terms of the match itself, uh, I thought it was booked really well. Hardy took a beating throughout the entire thing. Sheamus certainly did not let up really at any point. And it was a great story the entire match of Jeff kind of overcoming the size and strength and natural ability of Sheamus. There was a really good false finish there with Sheamus getting his foot on the rope at 2.9. And then you had Hardy trying to take advantage of his new lease on life, you know, running the barricade and eating a brogue outside. Then Sheamus hitting him with another one in the ring. And then almost a callback to Sheamus getting his foot on the rope. You had Jeff weakly reaching for the rope at like 2.8, 2.9 and unable to get there. Uh, you know, as Sheamus won, Hardy looked, sat in the corner of the ring. He looked totally dejected after the match. And mixed in, Chris, with the advertising that they gave us right around that segment. I forgot if it, I think it was right before the match. Uh, they advertise Extreme Rules with Jeff Hardy's colors. And a logo that screamed to me, Jeff Hardy feature match at this pay-per-view. Uh, so, you know, I think pretty clearly, and I, you know, it could be wrong. They could be saving it for SummerSlam. But I think pretty clearly we're going to get a Jeff Hardy, Sheamus, feud, blow-off, Extreme Rules match. They're one and one now. Obviously, Jeff Hardy won in the Intercontinental Tournament. Sheamus won this match. Full-on rubber match in Extreme Rules stipulation at the next pay-per-view. Hardy goes over. Everyone's happy. I mean, that's at least how I see it. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. That, that's why it, I, I can see why it would continue forward. Obviously, the heel coming on top in that storyline and just moving on doesn't totally make sense. But you do what you got to do. Also... I like that they've changed the Extreme Rules pay-per-view. I hate when they reuse logos over and over again, and, and it's good to see a new one. The only problem is they put the WWE logo right in the middle of it. It kind of looks like U-Tream rules. The X is harder to see than the Ws yeah. that are in there, so it's a little a little weird there. But, um, yeah, you're, you're right about the, the Hardy Coast. The, the match was a little weird. I don't know if it was... Jeff, like, fell weird a couple of times. One time when he got tossed... Mm -hmm. uh, one time when he kind of fell off the top rope turnbuckle after Sheamus hit the ropes, um, kind of, kind of just weird how it played out, but the ma match was fine. It was what it was. You kind of figure it's moving forward. You, you've, you know, you've wondered if there's some other twist coming with the, with the, the, the redheaded person driving the car down right. the road, but right. that may be TBD depending on what's going on in the world. Yeah. I mean, and they do have options actually on SmackDown for redheaded people that, you know, could be driving that car. So that is interesting. Um, but, you know, there were a lot of people that had issues with Sheamus winning this match, that he was making fun of him for being a druggie and talking about his DUIs and set him up. And then the heel won relatively clean. People were pretty up in arms about that. I, It's wrestling. Like, we always complain that heels never get to win clean over faces. And we just got a heel winning clean over a face and people are upset about it. I, I thought it was the right booking and I thought it was a good match and a good decision. Well, it's just weird because... Is, is the idea that Jeff is hard on his luck and didn't overcome it? Or if he wasn't involved in the car accident at all and he just straight up lost the match, then like that's that's 
kind of it. It, it kind of doesn't totally fit if the story is Jeff's a druggie, he's overcoming it and he's here, but he actually, he didn't do the car accident that, that he's actually totally normal. He's totally fine. And so he just straight up lost the match without having to technically, he didn't face any adversity in the feud. He just lost, the, lost a match. So yeah, well, I, I think I, he took, I think he, t- I think he was so impassioned about beating Sheamus that he took a dumb risk. Maybe. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that could be the story to tell. That, that's a good point. You know, he took a dumb risk. He ate a brogue and then he ate another one in the ring. You know, it, it, it to me, it was a pretty clear, clean finish. Um, and you have Jeff come out basically booking the territory, of course, and kind of say, look, I got in my head. I needed to beat you so bad. You, you screwed with me. Yeah. Seamus, you won. You, you didn't just win the match. You got into my head. You, you changed things. Um, but I'm going to make you pay because I'm going to do whatever it takes to take you out. And I challenge you to an extreme rules match at extreme rules. I mean, it's wrestling. Yeah, I mean, you know? as, it's, as someone who as someone who loves heels looking strong, this actually kind of felt like the situation where there should have been some, uh, you know, questionable things done by the heel in order to get the win, because that's kind of what this whole feud is technically based off of, which is the heel doing shady things to to somebody else. So I think it would actually fit in this case. No, I mean that's that's a completely fair opinion to have, but uh, you know, for me, I. Give me a heel looking strong, and I complain about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm not gonna. Go, yeah, like I said, I'm not gonna complain about. It. I want Sheamus in the, the main event feud here, but yeah, yeah. it was fine. Okay, uh, women's tag team title match: Bailey and Sasha Banks defending against the Iconics and Bliss and Cross, and uh, Banks pinned Alexa Bliss via really good squi- uh, like package, small package roll up um, for the one two three. I loved the start of this match where you had both of them being interviewed in Gorilla. And then Sasha Banks walks away, expecting both of them to leave and go to their entrances. And Bailey stays and cuts a second promo. I thought that was really smart um, and unique and, you know, not something we've really seen. And as Nick Z at NZannyBony93 pointed out in a DM to me, um, the match started weird because I found myself on multiple occasions in the first, like, five minutes of the match having... Little idea who was actually in the ring because yeah. all yeah. six women were wearing black. <laughs> and I think even Billy Kay may have had a highlight in her hair that kind of made her look like Sasha a little bit. Um, I mean, outside of, I think it was Nikki Cross having some pink lettering on her back or something like that. You really struggled at times to tell the women apart uh, in during the match. And it actually kind of bothered me in the early going. That said, I thought the match was solid, all things considered. Um, I love when triple threat tag teams, we actually talked about this on the preview, when you have actual a triple threat match yes. and they can all tag their own partner as opposed to the BS where you have six people in a match, but only two can be in there at any given time. I think that's stupid. So that made the match fast paced and exciting. I think as we've talked about on the show, the Iconics continue to improve every single time they're in the ring. And I tweeted this, but not only was the finish smart with Sasha Banks, Sasha Banks is peaking right now. Uh, Ever since she returned uh, in 2019 and she started that feud with Becky Lynch, she has been incredibly athletic, smooth, creative, inventive. I'm finding this to be the absolute best work of Sasha Banks' entire career. And they finished the match, Chris, and this is a true stat. With Sasha Banks defending a title via pinfall or submission for the first time in her entire (laughs) career on the main roster. 
Wait, is so, that is that really true? That is 100 percent accurate. <laughs> but most of Sasha's reign, she's lost the title on her first right. defense, and other times that she's defended it, it's been via DQ or count out or something like that. So the first time that she has won a match by pinfall or submission to defend and retain a title, absolutely freaking incredible. But she won the titles in this feud. She's now the reason that they were defended for the first time. And it's leading us to, look, you guys know the Bailey sasha Banks thing. It's maybe my favorite storyline in WWE right now. And it's leading to eventually them losing the title because Bailey gets pinned. And, yep. and, and that further driving a wedge between them. So I know I'm getting off course on this match, Chris, and I'm sorry, but match, good. Storyline work, Sasha Banks, great. Yeah, you you just took out what I was, was going to say, which was, yeah, it was Sasha is carrying Bailey here after weeks of Bailey putting Sasha in positions that she didn't want to be in. And it's going to come to a head at some point when something goes wrong. And yeah, this continues to be a a well-told long-term story that, again, hopefully they pull the trigger on this time. But so far, it has been really well done. For sure. Now, something that can't really say was really well done, is the Raw Women's Championship match between Asuka and Nia Jax that ended in a double countout. And you know what? Before I even talk about the match. Mark at zero! Zero point zero. And you know none of it has to do with Asuka because Asuka is the greatest. What makes Nia Jax particularly dangerous is her lack of strength. She, as a bigger superstar, does big guy moves, but she's unable to execute them with the strength that big guys and gals have. You know, Beth Phoenix, of course, wrestled as a larger wrestler, especially compared to her counterparts, and she was able to do power moves because her opponents were smaller and because she was far stronger. So you have Jax doing the Jax hammer, you know, the jackhammer, onto Asuka. And landing on her hip, as opposed to cradling her and landing on the back, which is how you're supposed to finish the move. And of course, then you saw it later in the match that Nia Jax didn't have the strength to just do the move that basically Shayna Baszler did to Becky just recently. Uh, and, you know, turn her and throw her body first into the barricade. Slingshot her almost into the barricade. So I'm watching this match and I'm just looking at, and look like... A, We've talked about Nia Jax on the show and everyone talks about her and criticizes her. And I'm not trying to get like into that mode that everyone else gets on. But it's difficult to me when you have someone as talented as Asuka going up against Jax. And the entire match, I can't help myself from seeing Asuka trying to succeed and move the match forward and do these good moves. And and Nia did do a lot of really good work with Asuka, especially the roll throughs on the armbar and some of the other stuff like that. She, she actually did play her role pretty well. But to, to see that match transpire the way it does, to see Asuka take those two bumps in a really bad, weird way on the back of what happened to Kyrie Sane, on the back of what happened to other people, and then to finish the match in a double countout, which you don't need because you don't need this match again, and Asuka as champion beating Nia Jax does not make Nia Jax look weak. It's, dude, I, I don't want this anymore. They, they took what was really strong, which was the women's feuds on both shows. And I know that Becky left and she's pregnant and that's fine. Asuka's champion. But there are so many other talented women on Raw right now. From Shayna Baszler to obviously Charlotte Flair, Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, 
they have a pretty decent women's roster. And there's Bianca Belair, who's not even being used. And we're going to get this match again at the next pay-per-view. I, I just, I can't take it. Yeah, you know, I, I had I had thought the match was fine, serviceable, uh, other than a couple of the spots, as you mentioned. But other, I, I thought it was fine, do what it need to be done until that finish, until that countout happened. And then you just kind of groan and be like, oh, no, we got to do another one of these. If Asuka had, you know, the, the way to book Asuka and I in a match like that is, is kind of what happened to McIntyre. You, you get beat up a bunch, but you come out with the win, you survive. Nia loses, but she still looks okay. Asuka wins, and we move forward. Instead, we get a double countout. This comes after Asuka got counted out when Nia distracted her with the mask. It's just been a bunch of nonsense finishes with this feud, and yeah, just not excited for it going over. And I was thinking, you know, you talk about doing big guy moves or doing strength-based moves, imagine Bianca Belair doing that or Shayna Baszler because you know they could of course they could like like you can still do that type of stuff with with someone else who just looks really strong and and yeah just would like to see someone else in that spot match is fine but I don't want to do this again that's what I'm saying the criticism is not that you know there's so many people she sucks she's dangerous whatever that's actually not my criticism my criticism is she's not strong and and if she was strong then a lot of the incidents that we've seen happen, not the Kyrie Sane went into the steps, but the buckle bomb that got botched and all that. A lot of these things that have happened is because she's unable to hold up her opponent. And if she just had that strength, then she'd be able to execute the moves that she's trying to do and everything would happen safer. So, you know, again, it's not to rag on her. It, it, you know, I, I would hate it if someone just kind of, if everyone, I guess, kind of did that to me constantly in, in my profession. Um, but, you know, we have to talk about what we see with our eyes and the fact that that ended in a double countout, not even with Asuka rolling back into the ring and beating the count, which at least if that happens, you can kind of see then Jax has a reason to want another match. But a double countout where you don't even give the champion a victory, let alone a clean win in her first title defense. I mean, come on, this is freaking Asuka right now. Like, like she's the MVP of the Empty Arena era, as we've talked about. And she deserves better than, than that match. And... This feud continuing. And I also don't know what they're going to do. They have Charlotte Flair, who's now 2-0 against Asuka, obviously, both thanks to Nia Jax. And what, she's just going to wait for SummerSlam? Like, I I don't know what they're doing with the women's division on Raw. That's the long and short of it. I also don't know, Chris, what they're doing with the tag team division on Raw. (laughs) Uh, About four hours before... Here we we go again. Oh, it's true. I mean, about four hours before Backlash goes on the air, WWE tweets out, hey, extra match on the show. Raw tag team title match between the Street Profits and Viking Raiders. Um, This is after not advertising a match whatsoever, although they did say on Raw that the next time they met would be in a wrestling match. So, okay, I expected it for this Monday. Um, And then instead of that, they don't even pretend to give us a tag team title match. They give us a cinematic performance center um, D-level action movie battle. And I don't necessarily say that in a bad way. Some spots were actually good. I thought it started pretty intense when it was around Braun Strowman's car. And you're like, okay, action's picking up here. There was the spear that Dawkins did through the glass at the front door of the Performance Center. Um, The ninja stuff with Akira Tozawa. I mean, guy killed it. It was pretty funny, albeit strange, but it was pretty good. Um, And then you had, obviously, all the dives off of the truck into the the dumpster. You had the ref, Jess, um, continuing the storyline about Ivar being cute and Eric, you know, not, not so much. 
Um, but dude, I felt kind of like I was on an acid trip the entire time. I've never done acid. So I, I you know, uh, I, I can't even tell you if that's exactly what it was. Um, you know, the spot that popped me the most was Ivar like summoning the turkey leg like it was Thor's hammer. That, that popped the shit out of me. Like straight up, loved it. Okay. Um, that was the best moment probably of the entire storyline over the last six weeks to date. But for me, this was the definition of so bad it's good. And it was clearly intentional that they were trying to do this. But I don't know that I needed it on top of everything else that we've done. Had they just done this and not the other four or five weeks of shit, I probably would have loved it more than I already did. For me, it was just like, I thought we were done and we're still going. So I I, I overall liked it. I just wish they hadn't teased the match and then done this instead. Like, because, you know, you kind of want to see the match after going through everything. And if you and and, and to get kind of the rug pulled out and do another one of these, I'm sure was disappointing for a lot of people. But in a vacuum, the, 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 the thing itself, I thought was pretty good, pretty funny. I think it went too long. I think it should have ended yeah. when they when they beat the ninjas and became the Viking prophets. You didn't need to have them break up two seconds later and then do the, the dumpster thing with the kind of the Star Wars monster in the dumpster. Uh, I, I think you could have saved that for like tomorrow or the next week or whatever, you know, if, if I don't know how long they're going to keep doing this, but I thought, <laughs> God, I, I, I thought but I thought them teaming up was a fun way to just kind of would have been a good way to end it you know oh after everything they've been through they team up they 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 beat off the ninjas and whatever and we go on to do something else so it went a little bit too long but i did enjoy it i would have preferred a match between the two of them and maybe we'll get that tomorrow or sometime in the near future no they they announced it for tomorrow they did for all okay good that's yeah Yeah, so let's i guess so maybe that i guess maybe that's why they had to do the breakup then to to get to to get to the match but i still feel like there would have been a better way to kind of lay that out but Overall, I have found this really funny. I think the teams play off of each other really well. I now associate them with each other quite a bit because of everything they've been through together, which is kind of the point. I think I think it's actually been pretty good character building for them as teams together. Uh, I, I, I certainly feel like I know the Viking Raiders a lot better than I ever have before. Sure. Right? Yes, that's true. But, but uh, yeah, now now let now let's get to the wrestling. So what what's the successful part of this is, yes, they they took the Viking Raiders. They realized they weren't working as a serious team because how can you make Viking Raiders serious in 2020? Right. And they since they're not War Machine, which was a good gimmick, but I understand why they couldn't use that name. um, They figured out a way to they figured out a way to make them funny and relatable. Right. And that worked. But now I'm done. And and you you spent a month. You figured out a way not to tell a stupid storyline where they keep interfering in each other's matches and they have singles yeah. matches between all four guys and it's monotonous and it's whatever WWE always does with tag team feuds. They figured out a way to go beyond that. And you didn't have to like it. And I did not like it most of the time. But ultimately, the end goal is we now have a raw tag team title match on Raw Monday night. And even though I didn't love the advertising and pulling the rug out from under and all that stuff, I think the point was to advertise this match saying, hey, these guys were finally going to get it. The tag team title match, knowing that they were going to give us obviously something different and then saying, hey, that match that you really wanted to see, well, the show that's losing ratings, you're going to be able to watch it on that show tomorrow night. I think that was ultimately the goal. 
And I can't necessarily fault them for it. I saw people getting up in arms about it. Look, WWE, WCW, other promotions forever have advertised matches, not delivered them and given given them to you at a later date for storyline reasons. I am not going to get upset that a, you know, undercard title match, which is what the Raw titles are right now, on a C-level pay-per-view was not delivered. One that they announced four hours before showtime. That is not why I am not going to get upset over that. It's not worth it. Also, did you see uh, Dax from FTR? Seemed uh, to something kind of else. Yeah. Yeah. Like he tweets like, yes, I know. And yes, I'm glad we're not there anymore or something like that. Like basically, yeah. like pull your freaking head out of your ass, dude. First of all, yes, I do believe people were tweeting at him. Oh, look how stupid the tag teams are here. You know, you guys are so much better off. And OK, that is probably true. Yes. Tag team wrestling right now in AEW is better than it is in WWE across the board. And there's no question about that. But for him to kind of like come out and like, you know, Mr. All High and Mighty kind of saying it the way he did, pull the stick out of your ass. That's kind of so, what I would say. Like I know before the revival left, they did the, you know, the icy hot stuff. And that that was that, stupid. That yeah. was stupid. There was of nothing course. to that. It was dumb. Absolutely ridiculous. I think this this whole month between these two teams was a lot better for the reasons I said, and that it at least we got to know them as characters. They established something. And now, yes, let's move forward. But this wasn't some cheap, stupid thing Vince McMahon thinks is funny from like the 1960s or something Look, like that. Like, you can say what you will about how WWE used the revival, but they used them a lot better than they talk about WWE using them. The The biggest issue that the revival says they had with WWE, and it's accurate and it's true, is that WWE did not put enough importance on tag team wrestling, didn't feature it enough for all the great tag teams that WWE does legitimately have. And the titles never, meant nothing. Yeah, they never gave them a lot of time. The titles meant absolutely nothing. All that's true. But what's also true is the Revival had a lot of really good matches in WWE. And they had a number of title runs where they were able to defend them in solid feuds against teams like the New Day and the Usos and other really quality teams. I mean, not even counting their incredible run in NXT. So, yes, is, is the tag team picture better in AEW? Of course it is. Not even, a, not even a question. Their tag teams, the way they're booked, the way they're featured, so far has been better, although it's not in the main event as much as they promised it would be. But for him to kind of go out and say what he did tonight because of that segment, it just felt so unnecessary. And it's like, okay, let me pick the absolute worst thing and shit on it as opposed to, hey, what if they had a tear down New Day Usos match? Is he going to come tweet? That's what I've always wanted from WWE. No, he's not. So I just thought it was a low blow pot shot that was unnecessary. Uh, yeah, I think it was more kind of a reaction to people kind of tweeting at him and kind of, you know, it, it is what it is. I, you know, everybody's moved on. Yeah. So. And we should we should move on to because that's not what this is about. Uh, well, let's finish up with the United States Championship. Apollo Cruz defending against Andrade in the kickoff show. You know, man, again, I, I understand now why the Raw tag team title match was not in the kickoff show. Despite them advertising it late, that's what would have made sense. But because it wasn't the match, totally get it. United States Championship, you don't have the IC title being defended. You don't have either tag team title being defended. Obviously, you had the women. It kind of felt like, you know what? Why don't you just give us a singles match of some type on the kickoff show and put this on the main show and let the show go. It went three hours, let it go three and a half, 315, whatever the hell you want. Because this was a good match. 
Um, Cruz retained uh, with a spinning sit-down powerbomb. That after he hit his kind of new finisher with the standing shooting star and the standing moonsault. You know, despite Paul Heyman being gone, which again is a topic we're going to talk about on Tuesday's show, getting over, talking about WWE, we'll find out how much actually changes on Raw. Um, they, they could have pulled the trigger here and said, you know what? Cruz was a Heyman guy and Andrade is a Vince guy and we're going to switch it. And I thought that was a possibility despite it being an unlikely one. But to see Apollo Cruz defend here, get another win clean, basically, kind of, over Andrade. I know there was a little bit of interference with Garza and Owens and whatever. Um, I thought it was a good opening match. Got me excited for the show. And I kind of like that they're going with Cruz here. Yeah, I just, I, I, I wish Andrade didn't win that number one contender match because yeah, me too. he's lost so many times in the past month now. Like, <laughs> no, in the past, in the past three months. Well, I, I mean, I mean like even, you know, when he had the title and he loses twice to Drew, then he loses here and keep, keeps losing. Like just have Garza pin Owens and get the number one contender and then do this match here. Like it, it was just so unnecessary to do it for a kickoff match to have Andrade lose another, you know, another match I, I, if, if they go, I, they have to go Garza Andrade is attacking now because how are you supposed to take Andrade seriously as a singles wrestler right now? It's it's just been this match, right? It should have either been on the main show or not happened at all. I kind of lean toward not happened at all or just do a cruise open challenge and have some random person come out and just do a match. I just did not need to see this happen uh, uh, again, Andrade. And it's just. I, I like Cruz. I think it's a great thing moving forward. I think doing a U.S. Open Challenge is a great way to 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 help him more than continuing to beat the same couple of guys over and over. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I do think it's time that Andrade moves forward. We did talk about it where now that this he's done with this mid-card, you have two options. You can put him in the tag team situation. They need tag teams, and him and Garza would be great. Or you make him a contender for McIntyre, and you build him up towards that. Uh, you, you can't, you can't though, right now. Not after what he's gone through over the past month. It's going to take a while before he gets... I thought that's what was going to happen. I thought, you know, maybe he drops the title and he immediately moves into that. But with, with, with what he's had happen over the past month, it's going to be tough. At I least, don't know, man. They turned around... Need to, need to buy it into it. They turned around Bobby Lashley pretty quick into a main event contender. I think you got two months before SummerSlam. Uh, you, my dog's just walking all over the floor here in case you guys were hearing that. Um, you got two months until SummerSlam, basically. So, you know, while you have Drew kind of doing what he's doing, you have Andrade go through and and beat some faces and start taking names, beat Owens, beat a couple other guys uh, and kind of work his way into a situation where he can then be in a number one contendership match. He wins that and he's got Drew at Mania. You know, I'm not saying they're going to go in that direction. I kind of think it's going to be... Um, I kind of unfortunately think they're going to call Lesnar back to kind of come back for SummerSlam. Uh, I may have said Mania a second ago. It is late. Uh, but but if not, if it's not Lesnar, it kind of seems pretty clear that we might be going with Rollins Mysterio at SummerSlam, assuming they don't pull that trigger at Extreme Rules. And if that's what they're doing with Rollins and they kind of use Aleister Black in between with Rollins, then I'm telling you, Drew Andrade makes a lot of sense for me. Uh, for a SummerSlam. So I do think that is possibly where they're going. But uh, what I do know where we're going, Chris, is to bed momentarily because we have just wrapped up the instant analysis of WWE 
backlash. Now on the great, the, the greatest podcast of all time. Dude, the that's great, people... yeah, yeah. Let's 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 end it the right way. The greatest WWE backlash instant analysis ever. You're hearing it right here on Getting Over. Now, interesting stuff kind of going down this week on Tuesday's show. Of course, we're going to break down everything that happened on SmackDown that had nothing to do with backlash and everything that's going to go down on Raw, but we're also going to spend a good amount of time talking about Paul Heyman being removed from the creative team on Raw and the effect that that is going to have on WWE going forward. Obviously, that happened after we taped our Ultimate Backlash preview, and I believe it even happened after or maybe right as I was taping um, the AEW and NXT show, which is on Thursday. If you didn't listen to that yet, still green. You know, those shows haven't happened again, so go ahead and listen to that. Those ratings, I think, were just a couple thousand away from each other. So pretty big week for uh, NXT, you know, getting pretty close to AEW. But uh, Chris, you know, appreciate you joining me to break down everything that went down in WWE Backlash. Again, folks, you've listened all the way through the show already. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, five-star rating and review. It's that time of year. Summer's approaching. You're going to be at the pool. You're going to be barbecuing. You're going to be going to the Apple Podcast app and dropping a five-star review for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Don't forget to follow Chris. He's a good man at Chris Vanini. And you can follow me, the Silver King, at Silverstein Adam. Now it's time for us to say goodbye. But before we do that, I have one other person that wants to say something to you. Elizabeth, come on out here, oh, man. Oh. Hey, we got something going that's oh, really big, mercy. don't we? Yeah. Look in the video scope right now and tell him about Macho Madness. Tell him how strong it is and tell him where we're going, yeah. We into the twilight zone, yeah. And yeah. Hulk Hogan's got no chance, does he? No. no. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man Randy no. Savage? No, no, no. Am I the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived? Yes, you are. Okay, now say goodbye. Say goodbye. Bye. Okay, now get out of here. Oh, that's right a little now. rough, Randy. Oh, yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Tell Hulk Hogan that. Tell I will. I thank you, Randy Savage. And thank you all for listening. Bye for now.